Hi, everyone. I'm Scott Branley. And I'm Alicia Coakley. Every member of the church has a story to share, one that can instill faith, invite growth, and inspire others. On today's episode, we're going to hear how being married to a spouse with mental illness taught one woman the importance of showing up no matter what. Welcome to Latter-day Lights. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Latter-day Lights. We're so glad you're here with us today. And we have a special treat, Marlis Brockington, one of Alicia's oldest friends. So it's nice to have Most you here. beautiful friends too. Oh, thank you. Wow. Oh. I'm serious. I was when I knew you, so I'm happy to consider me a friend. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I love it. I can't remember if if you were like a young women's leader or something, but I do remember for a short time, we were kind of in the singles, like a very short time together. And then you went off and got married. Oh, and then I just right. stayed yeah. single for a while. <laughs> that's okay. That's, yeah. That comes back. It's a long time ago. Like a it was a very times. long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good to see you though. Oh, goodness. Yes. Yes. It's wonderful. And I'm so excited because Marlis, you are seriously like one of the most interesting people that I know. You are the only hula dancer. You're like a professional. Is that what they call them? Hula dance? Is that yeah. prof- what's a the name Polynesian of it? Polynesian dancer. Polynesian dancer. Polynesian so dancer. Different. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Yeah. And they still yeah, and it's stage, beautiful. So. <laughs> I love it. it. I fun. love it so much. And, now and, I, and, I, know and I get to do it with them. So. I know. I see all the pictures. Yeah. Now, do you, um, did you teach your kids to do that or are I you did. like part of a group that mm-hmm. does it? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I moved to Florida to, uh, I danced at SeaWorld and different places, venues in Orlando. And then I moved down here to Fort Myers. And, um, I, you know, when my kids were born, I decided when my girls got old enough, I wanted them to learn. So I kind of started my own little school, I guess you could call it. And it's been right for 12 years later. So I have a school and then I have a professional group who I dance with and we do lots of shows in the area. And, you know, like I said, people still let me on stage and that makes me happy. (laughs) I know it makes me happy too. I just, I love watching you on social media and just seeing like Mm -hmm. the beautiful costumes that you're wearing and just, I mean, you're so talented. You're so talented and just gorgeous. And I just love you so much. And so I'm so excited, but I don't want to tell everyone about you. Let's let you tell everyone about you. (laughs) Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to our guests? All right. Well, I'm Marlis. And uh, like Alicia said, I live here in Florida. I love it. Um, I've been, um, I grew up originally in San Diego, but I've lived in lots of different places. Um, My family's originally from Hawaii and uh, I've been a, I've been a teacher, an elementary teacher here in Florida for 20 years now. Um, But now I work in adult education. So a little bit different side of education. I love it. Um, I have three amazing children. They're all teenagers. Today's my son's 14th birthday. He's my baby. I'm getting ready to send one off to college next year. And um, I love the beach. I love everything about dancing. Love to eat. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) Nice. And I love Costco. I'm a fan of eating. (laughs) (laughs) See? And and with Costco, you can eat so much and not feel guilty. You can just go on a Saturday and just like eat all of the little stations that they have. I love that. I love Costco. My favorite place. 
Perfect. Yeah, I, that was one thing that I was super excited about when we did move from Elko, Nevada to Lubbock is we got to be close to a Costco again. And I was like, oh my gosh, my life is complete. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I just, I need it. I need a temple, an airport and a Costco. Those are the things that I need in my life. And I got them all here. So pretty happy. <laughs> I, I don't have a Costco <laughs> membership. I have a Sam's Club membership. So oh, yeah. no, I'm a snob. I'm That's because you're part snob. Canadian. I don't, I don't, I don't venture into Sam's, but that's because I have choices right. here. So. Yeah. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get you on the Costco bandwagon, Scott. We're going to do that. Yeah. We'll, we'll transfer you over. It's just so much better. It is. It's just so much better. Yeah. Sam's is just an elevated Walmart, but Costco is a level all of itself. Yeah. Right? You can buy anything so. there. You can even buy caskets there, yeah. believe it or not. <laughs> not there, but you, you can, can order buy caskets, caskets there. through Costco. Yeah, I did see, and for a very cheap price, it's like two thousand dollars versus like fifteen or twenty thousand. So, yeah, it's true story. Well, that's our sponsorship for today. No, (laughs) Costco basket. Buy them in bulk. There you go. Oh Oh, goodness. Well, Well, Marlis, why don't you share your story with us today? Okay. Well, I am. Really um, excited it's not the word. Um, I do have a story. Everyone has a story. And I think sharing it is very therapeutic. It's, ha- it's a story I've had in my mind for a long time, in my heart. Um, it's interesting because I'm at a friend's house right now who uh, because my house is full of kids and craziness. And so I needed some quiet. Um, and this is a house that's very near and dear to me because it's, this house has been um, kind of an escape for me in the last 20 years. Um, And I remember one time staying here with my three kids uh, during a really, really difficult time in my marriage where I needed to get away. And um, I remember sitting in this house, not just the angst and the, the feeling of nausea in your stomach where you don't know, you don't know the next step to take. And you've got three little kids who you're in charge of and you, and you don't know where to go. Um, you don't know what to do and you want someone there telling you, what do I do in this moment? And I know there's a lot of people who can relate to me. Um, and so that's why I want to share the story today. And uh, kind of the title of it is Married to Mental Illness. There could be a lot of different titles to my story. It could be Married to Someone with Cancer. It could be... Um, you know, losing your spouse to cancer could be losing your home in a fire. It could be uh, surviving an abusive marriage. Um, But really what I want the title to be is uh, married to mental illness, because that's kind of the root of so many issues. That's the root of a lot of the difficulties that I had in my marriage and not saying that, um, I, you know, I didn't play a part in it. Um, and my husband, as I alluded, he, he passed away. So he's not here to share his side of the story. And I just want to say first and foremost that, you know, I hope that this, this podcast can honor him in a light that he, he deserves. Um, mm-hmm. But also, the, and this is my story. This is not uh, anyone else's story. This is not to tell you this is what you should do if you're ever in the situation But I think it's definitely something that is not talked about um, in the world, certainly not in our church. And I felt very alone for many years because I didn't feel like I had anyone who could relate to this. And there's probably so many because we don't talk about it. 
So um, a little bit of my story. Um, I, uh, I met my husband um, almost 21 years ago. Uh, at that time, I, I had grown up in the church. I had made all the right decisions, I guess you could say. Uh, I went to BYU-Hawaii. I went to BYU. I served an amazing mission in Boise, Idaho. I love. I loved being a member of the church. I loved the church, um, and I loved. Uh, you know, I had a. Re- I, I had. I had a really strong testimony. Um, what I didn't have a lot of luck with was. Uh, I guess dating someone who was LDS. <laughs> I mean, even going to the BYUs, I never had that. Any is a Florida thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's slim pickings. Members of the I, church. I there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Florida, but I wasn't living in Florida. You know, I was living in Utah and um, oh, and Hawaii. Okay. So I never had any luck dating, and I uh, moved to Texas after to Dallas after I graduated, and. Um, you know, I've always been somebody who um, grew up with a lot of friends and in and out of the church. Um, my, you know, my relationships were not, you know, based on, well, I have to hang out with you because you're this and that. I don't know. But um, I, the moment that I saw my husband, I remember saying, that's the man I'm going to marry. Uh, not really? only because he was this beautiful specimen. I mean, he was yes. the most beautiful Very man handsome. that I've ever laid eyes on. Um, extremely beautiful. Um, but I just said, that's the man I'm going to marry, which is really stupid. So if anyone's listening, it's really dumb. And what I say about that, why I say that is because um, my husband and I were completely wrong for each other. Um, but you don't always choose who you fall in love with. And he was the first man that I was ever in love with, um, where you experience all those emotions. And the way I said that he, we were completely wrong for each other. Number one, he was, was not LDS, which kind of should be like, okay, I don't go there, but I'm the kind of person, like I'll go down a path and see where it leads me. Um, mm-hmm. he's 10 years older than me. And, um, we were just very different with different, lots of different life experiences. Um, now when I say that, um, you know, I was in an abusive marriage. Uh, people will say in those situations, well, I met this guy, he was so wonderful. And then the moment we got married, he changed. And that wasn't my experience at all. I kind of knew what I was getting myself into because uh, things were not, things were really not right. And they were, they were, um, they should have been red flags to me, but they weren't. They, I didn't, I, 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 I just was so in love with him that I went down this path with him and I was willing to make it work no matter what, because I was deeply in love with him. So I compromised on a lot of things. And, um, thankfully though, the one thing that I didn't have to compromise on, um, was going to church, you know, even though my husband was not LDS, he really liked the church. Um, he, he liked what, what the kind of person that it made me. So I always, uh, no matter what, went to church. And that's kind of where we got the tagline today for showing up. And I'm going to talk about that. So, um, you know, we got married in Florida, moved to Florida and he followed me there. And yeah, we went, we had three beautiful children. And, um, during our marriage, we were separated twice and, um, and then he was diagnosed with cancer. 
about nine years into our marriage and it was a very deadly cancer. He really was given about two to three years. It was multiple myeloma for anyone who's familiar with that, uh, bone marrow cancer. And uh, he was only 43. And usually people in their 60s and 70s are are uh, diagnosed with it. But he fast forward, he lived for 11 years. And I think that was because he was an army ranger and he had been a fighter his whole life. And he had this mentality of, uh, you know, he could, he was strong enough to overcome it. And he did, he went through three stem cell, uh, two stem cell transplants and a CAR T transplant at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa. Amazing. And um, he passed away June 25th um, after his third transplant and about with really bad bout with pneumonia and he never recovered. So it's been a while, but um, that's his story. And the other story is I was there the whole time on this ride. Um, so again, this could be another, another title that to this could be um, uh, being married as a caregiver. And so I've worn many, many hats. So that's, that's the, that's the surface level. And that's kind of what Alicia thinks she only knew me as that. And so what I really wanted to dive in today (laughs) was um, the underlying part of that, that a lot of people don't know because I didn't, I couldn't talk about it a lot. Um, So I did want to start with the one story I was sitting in church. um, I was sitting in church one day at, and a woman gave a talk and this kind of opened things up to me to be like, Oh my goodness, we need to talk more about this. She was talking about her experience of being married to a man who um, suffered a traumatic brain injury. And I was glued to her the entire time because she was so honest about it. She went, she talked about how he went from this wonderful, loving man to this horrible, terrible spouse because of this brain injury. And, um, her just sharing that, like being honest about it, like, Oh wait, your husband sucks. Like right now, like, Oh, he treated you this way. Oh, you hate (laughs) him right now. You're actually sharing this, but sharing it in a loving manner. Like, uh-huh. It just opened something inside of me, you know, where she, and he was sitting right there, you know, where oh, she just speak. was like, this uh-huh. is my experience with my husband. And everyone told me to divorce him and leave him. And I'm like, okay, what did you do? What did you do? You know, how did you do that? Because you want, a, when you're in this situation, you want a guy. So my biggest takeaways for sharing this story is that I want the audience to hear is that, um, this is not like some solution story. Okay. We hear a lot of these talks in conference and we hear, okay, somebody went through this. It was really hard. And then they did this and then everything got better. That is, it's, it's such a lie. It's such a lie. It's not how life works. It is getting up every day and showing up. You're going to hit so many walls every day. Um, and you're going to try this and you're going to read the scripture and then you're going to pray, but it's not going to, it's not going to make everything magically better forever. Okay. You have right. to keep showing up. And one of my biggest things was, um, I learned to go through the motions and that's another, 
That's another takeaway I want people to take from this. I learned that I had to go through the motions sometimes, even when I wasn't feeling it, I had to do it, whether it was in my relationship, whether it was as a mom, whether it was as a church member. And then the last thing um, takeaway I want people to take from this is that not only did this experience strengthen my testimony of the gospel, which I've always had, but it strengthened my testimony of the church. Okay. And I know that we're all in different places and I'm at a point in my life where where I can say, you know what? I don't agree. I don't agree with this. I don't like that this happened, but I'm okay with that because this church where I'm at, this is where I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere else. I love that our church, the way it's set up. I love that we have opportunities to serve. I love that we're a family. And uh, do I like everyone when I go there? No. Do I like everything that people say? No, but I like to <laughs> kind of tell them off yeah. sometimes like, mm, no, that's not right. Or call, not tell them <laughs> off, but call them out. Like, I don't agree with that. And it's yeah. okay. Yeah. And it's okay. But that's kind of where I'm at in my journey with a church. I don't ever want to give it up and I don't want them to ever give up on me. I say there. Mm-hmm. So um, diving a little bit through this, uh, into this a little bit deeper. Um, the first five years of my marriage, um, you would have said she's in an abusive marriage. Okay. My husband was extremely, um, verbally abusive, um, very emotionally abusive, sometimes physically abusive. Um, and, um, through this all, I had three kids and on top of that, he compounded it with his choices to drink alcohol. Um, even caffeine set him off. Um, And he was never that way towards our kids, uh, thankfully. But I remember just, and and then he wasn't working. He, he went through a really dark time in his life. And he would tell you this where he, you know, he moved, he moved to Florida. He had a really hard time getting a job. And this is very, very common of people who have mental illness. It's very hard for them to work for anyone else besides Mm -hmm. themselves. And I learned that. And, um, and some of the things that I went through with him, you know, anytime there was a big event, like people were coming to our house or we were supposed to go somewhere, he would start a huge fight with me and not just a fight like, Oh, you didn't do the dishes. No, these were vicious attacks about my character and the kind of person I was. And I had to listen to like all these horrible things about myself. Um, and I finally realized like he would start this right before we were going to go to my surprise birthday party that he was like, well, they're throwing your surprise birthday party. And like, I'm sitting there bawling my eyes out and have to go to this party or right before people show up for Thanksgiving or right before, um, we're supposed to go to the Phantom of the Opera (laughs) or somewhere. Um, and I'm, and the anxiety and the stress that it puts on you as a person is so terrible. Um, but what I eventually learned was that, you know, my husband had extreme social anxiety, mm-hmm. like paralyzing social anxiety of what people were going to think of him, of what people were going to say about him. Um, and so he mirrored that and pushed it all on me where this is your fault. You're the reason I don't want people to come over because you're not a good wife. You don't, 
you, you don't say the right things. You don't do the right things. You don't cook the right things. You don't buy the right things for our house. That all was pushed on me. Um, and that is, it's a terrible place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it was really calm. And so how did he deal with that? He went out and started drinking, you know, he right. numbed his emotions. Um, right. and that compounded everything. So that eventually led to like several arrests. It, it just, his life just went down and I'm there on the outskirts having babies, working, supporting us, trying to put up this front while all of this mess is going on. Like my life um, was a nightmare and I can say that. And I say a nightmare because when you are, when you're married to somebody with this kind of mental illness, you have no stability in your life. You have no idea what it's like to be able to go home from church on a Sunday and just relax. No, because every time you go home, you're thinking, what's going to be on the other side of that door? What's his mood? What is he going to be saying? Because there were times I would come home so happy and I could just tell like he had this dark presence and he'd been stewing about something that I had said five years ago. What did you mean when you said this to me five years ago? And so you are never, anytime my phone would ring, what's, what's his mood going to be? I don't know how to answer it, you know? So there's a constant fear and, and you go to places like the grocery store, you work with people and their biggest worry is, oh, my son got a B or what should I wear? What should I buy today? Or, oh, my husband works too much. And when I would hear this, I would just be like, you have no idea how I, you have no idea just I'd be at the grocery store and like complete sat. Like, I don't know. Like my husband just cursed me out for an hour because I bought the wrong pickles. And here I am going back and I'm walking through the grocery store just, and I have my kids with me who I have to keep happy and pretend like, you know, this isn't happening. It's such a weight that you carry with yourself. Um, But of course, when you're married to someone with mental illness, this is not how it is all the time. There are so many ebbs and flows and I can't diagnose my husband. I don't think he was bipolar, um, but he definitely had personality disorders. And the more I got to know him, the more I knew that this really stemmed from a very traumatic childhood, a childhood where he had a mother who was um, a drug addict and alcoholic. He's, he was horribly abused Um, So he grew up with this image of himself, like I'm not good enough. And he also grew up with an image about women. He really hated women. Um, And any time that he saw his mom and me, which if you know me, I'm nothing like that. Um, But it's like he was seeing his mom. And there were times when I would see his eyes change. And it was like I was talking to a different person. Um, but when he was good, he was wonderful. You know, he was a wonderful person. He's the reason I fell in love with him. He had such a good heart. He was willing to help anyone. And so he had so many demons. And then that probably was compounded by, um, he was a football player or running back professionally. And he probably has so much brain and traumatic, you know, 
injury with his brain concussions. Um, Mm -hmm. so he dealt with a lot. Um, and there were times that, um, I, um, you know, and that's why I had to escape sometimes because things were not safe at home and I would have to get my kids in the car. Sometimes he would take the battery out of my car and I couldn't use it. So I'd have to, or he'd take my phone and I'd have to call someone to go to a neighbor's house. Can you please pick me up? I need to get out of here right now. There were times I should stayed in women's shelters um, because I was so embarrassed to tell people, you know, what was going on. I mean, I didn't have any family here. So, um, and it's not something you want to tell your family because you want, you want things to get better. You won't want them to see your husband like that because you want things Mm -hmm. to get better. And you're holding on to that time when things are going to go back to the good times. I'm holding on for that. And then you think when times are so good, it's never going to go back. Um, but I finally had the courage And I really, I just didn't think I was strong enough to ever leave him. I was really afraid of him, but I finally had the courage to, to leave. And it it was because I had to call the police. It was only one time I had to call the police because he'd often tell me, if you ever call the cops on you, like, I'm going to kill you. And you believe those things, you know, you believe them with all of your heart. Like you, you believe them. And it, and, um, but I had the courage because of a really a bishop who, I confided in and gave me the confidence to say, to tell me you have to call the police. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so I did. And, you know, he spent some time in jail. So that gave me the courage to like bolster up. Okay. I'm going to move out. I didn't ever have the courage to divorce him, which is another, probably a whole other story I could tell. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember, um, we were separated for probably about a year and we ended up trying to get back together because things got so good. And I'm going to tell you why things got good in a moment. Um, so we tried getting back together and we tried for a year and I had another baby and, you know, he still wasn't, he wasn't working cause he'd had, he had busted out his knee and um, couldn't, you know, was sick and hurt. And then we reunited for a very short time. And, um, I remember during this time I was praying on my knees every day, please deliver me from this. I had this one scripture in Mosiah 29 and it's just, I clung to the scripture. It, it was like talking about how the, the, um, people were delivered from bondage. And I felt like that was what my marriage was. I felt that I was in such bondage and I didn't know how to get out of it. I had no idea. I, I didn't know what to do. I was so afraid of what would happen if I tried to leave. I, I, I just had all these thoughts in my mind. He's, I don't want to, I don't want my life to end. I want to be here for my kids. I don't know what he's capable of. You just don't know. And I clung to the scripture and I remember praying so hard, like, please deliver me. I am humbling myself. I'm repenting whatever it is you need me to do, please. And the next day, um, he broke his back in the shower and we found out that he had this, this cancer, this multiple myeloma. And I remember thinking, this is my deliverance. Like he's going to die and I'm going to be delivered. It was, it's a terrible thought, you know, but, but 
that's like, you're like, this is the only way out. And Heavenly Father, like, thank you. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, 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 there's so many judgments people could have of me, but I, I just, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second. First of all, I'm like having such a hard time because I had no idea. And I feel so selfish for not having ever seen that. You really did hide it so well. You hit it so well. But, but please don't feel bad about, about that thought. Because there was a time in my own marriage too, where it was just so hard. We just, everything was going wrong. And we, we too were on the verge of divorce. And because I didn't even see how divorce was going to fix our problems. Like I didn't, he was never abusive. My husband was never abusive or anything like that. But I always worried about like the kid's spiritual well-being. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like, it really is such an emotional, physical strain that, that takes over everything in your life and in your mind Mm -hmm. and in your heart. And for you to, to have hidden this, and not had someone to lean on and not have some, and, and I'm glad that you did confide in your bishop because at least that gave you a little something, but it's still, you know, it, it didn't fix all of your problems. And so I just want to like say thank you mm-hmm. for a minute because I know that there's some women out there that are listening to this who are finally going to be like, it wasn't just me. Um, I was going to say, well, in your case, Alicia, there was almost a miracle that happened, right? With your brother. Oh, and intervening and helping him. But yeah. on your side, Marlis, um, did he ever did you ever talk to him about going to counseling? Was was there ever anything on his side where he tried to um, improve? Gosh. Um so we tried marriage counseling, which was a complete joke. You can't um, I don't want to say joke because it was not on the part of the counselor, but when you're dealing with somebody with mental illness and someone who is completely can be completely irrational, everything that comes up in a counseling session is kind of taken as an attack. And when he felt attacked, he would, you know, he, he would give it right back like a hundredfold. So it was not, it was not successful. Um, but this is what really um, saved us. Um, I guess saved us. I, I said that we had reunited briefly because he had blown out his knee um, in an injury. And so he was able to get, you know, the, the medication he needed, but they, the doctor also prescribed him like an antidepressant. Mm. Okay. So it was his first time taking this and when I say it changed him, it completely changed him. He became somebody who was rational. He became someone who I could depend on. Um, he became someone where I could have expectations of. Um, and I say that like those should be those should be things that are in every marriage, right? But when you're dealing with someone with mental illness, you, you can't have any expectations of them, like mm-hmm. none, uh, if you're going to survive in that marriage. Uh, let me say that. Um, so when he started taking that, it was almost like, oh, my goodness, this is the person that he always is. So that's why we reunited. But then, like a lot of people with um, issues, they stopped taking it. 
right? They think, mm-hmm. oh, I'm good. I don't need to take it. And this is this, right. you know, my husband was this, uh, you know, ex-athlete, super, manly you know, man. yes, yeah. like, I don't need medicine, right? That's what a lot of people would mm-hmm. say. But um, so when he, uh, and I remember after he was diagnosed with the cancer, they put him on this really terrible, uh, I won't say it was steroids. You know, you have to go on steroids. Right. And if you give that to someone who already has major testosterone and major, um, I, I had to call the doctor after that weekend and say, like, it's not safe for me to be living with him. It's not safe because well, someone on steroids in that situation, like you think the incredible Hulk, that's what you're getting. Right. Right. That's what you're getting. Um, you know, when you, and, and when you live in those, in, in a marriage like that, um, you learn a lot of tricks. You learn to go to bed with clothes on that you, if you have to leave the house quickly, you go to bed, you have an emergency pack in the back of your car with stuff that you need and your kids need. So you're not locked out of the house with no shoes. Um, you learn to sleep with your car keys in here and, and, and uh, a wallet or money. And you learn if there's ever a fight, you stand by the door in case you have to leave quickly because uh, it could get really bad. And that's that, all of that was going on that entire weekend that he was on those steroids. So I remember going back to the doctor and I said, listen, I, I like, this is not safe for me. It's not safe for my kids. So they were, they, and then they said, oh, we forgot to give him this medicine that kind of com- like <laughs> lessens the effect of the steroids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, so he was able to get on another, he took um, uh, sertraline. If anyone wants to know, he took sertraline. This was like the magic pill. And I don't care what anyone's opinion on medicine is. It changed my husband completely mm-hmm. and it changed my life. So the biggest thing that I want people to know is if you struggle with mental illness, you don't just owe it to yourself. You owe it to the people who love you to take that medicine. Yeah. And I say that so seriously because they're the ones who have to deal with you and it's not fair to them. I I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into all anything, you know, whatever, but this changed my life. And so when he would not take his medication, like my kids even got to the age where they're like, daddy, take your medicine. Like we all know you're not taking it. I mean, sometimes I would leave it on his bed. Sometimes I would leave it. Uh, At first I was like, really like, did you take, did you take it? And then I just started throwing at it, throwing it at him. (laughs) Like, (laughs) You want to talk to me like that? Here you go. And um, so I will say this. um, And, and this is not, for anyone else, like this is my journey. Um, you know that along the way of him having cancer, like we we lost our house in the fire. Okay. Yeah. Um, that also changed him too because he saw so many people show up for us mm-hmm. and it really humbled him. It was really actually really something that actually could have been a very stressful thing turned into a really beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was all the Lord. That's what he does, right? He changes things that we don't know how we're going to get through. Like you said, Alicia, he can put his hands on things and make it so much better than we ever imagined. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. 
with my life. Um, my husband, he, he changed because not only did he give up the drinking, he had to because of uh, the cancer he wanted to eventually. But along that route, like there were still really, really bad times. There were times when I, I was still scared of him, but I remember the more he stopped drinking, the more he took his medicine, the more he was humbled, the less I became afraid. And when you remove that factor of fear, that changes your life. It's so hard to live in a fear, in a state of fear. It's so hard to feel the Holy Ghost. It's so hard to feel like you can expect anything good from Heavenly Father. Um, uh, but because he lived so long after that, after he was diagnosed, it gave him an opportunity because I would often say, why is he still alive? Why do I have to keep putting up with this? Why? Like, when is it my turn to be happy? Because we had gone through so much instability. I knew that I did not want to give my kids instability. I didn't want to add to that. I needed to give them as much stability as possible. And a lot mm -hmm. of people will say, you know, you have to show up for you. You have to do things for you. And I, I had to say to myself, this is, it's not my time right now. It's not, mm -hmm. it's my kid's time. And if I stay married to him, someone told me this once they're like, if you, stay married to him and he dies, he dies a hero to your kids. Yeah. If you divorce him and whatever that brings, then him dying is, you know, it's not going to be the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's, that's true or not. And that's not my, that's not for me to say, stay in a marriage where you're miserable. This is just my story. I I wanted my kids to have as much stability as possible. Yeah. So I stayed. I stayed. I went through all of the, all of everything with him medically, even when he was telling me I was the worst wife and, and, you know, he could have so many other people show up for him that would take care of him better. And I got to the point where I didn't fear him anymore. And I was like, go find someone, go find someone off the street to take care of you, you know? And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and listen to this. You can stay in the hospital with the nurses and I'm going to get a hotel. Like I'm not, I'm not going to listen to this anymore, but because I stayed on that journey with him and he changed and I changed our, he got to be the best version of himself and I got to be the best version of myself. And we got to have the best version of our marriage that we could possibly have. And my kids got to see the best version of their dad. And so they have wonderful memories of him. You know, sure. My oldest remembers, how we used to have to sneak out of the window at night when daddy came home drunk or we had to drive around for hours or go sit in the parking lot of the ER. That's the best place to sit if you ever have to stay in your car, believe it or not, because there's lots of people there. It's safe and there's a bathroom. <laughs> I hate that I know that, but um, those are the things my kids had to go through when they were little, you know, like how we got to go to Walmart in the morning and buy you clothes to go to school or I have to help you with your school project while we're staying at the shelter and you know, I don't have anything to make for your school project. Um, those are the kids, those are the memories they had when they were little, but because we stuck it out because he was willing to take medication mm -hmm. because I didn't give up on 
what I knew to be true. And I know I'm not talking a lot about the church throughout this and I'll get to that. But it all all intertwines. But it intertwines because not once did I stop going to church. Mm -hmm. Not once did I stop praying with my kids. We prayed every night together as a family. You know, not once did I say, I didn't ever blame God. I, I feel honestly that Heavenly Father does not owe me anything. He gave us our son already, and I didn't have a victim mentality. That's huge. Yeah, I didn't play the victim. I knew what my role was, and I, you know, showed up reading my scriptures, even when I was like, you know, I'd just been cursed at for five hours or whatever it is. Um, even though things were terrible and I didn't know how to pay the bills and I didn't, you know, everything that comes along with being a teacher, working 5 million jobs and trying to pay all bills while your husband is sick and your kids have to go to school and, Oh, now you have to go to the ER. Cause this, you know, it's just, but it, it, it all, it intertwines and, and, and also having my callings and maybe some people would say it's too much and you did this, but, being able to show up for other people. And I was blessed with a job as a teacher, as an elementary teacher, where I couldn't sit behind a desk and and think about me and dwell on all the things I'm going through. I had to show up for them and I had to, um, it it gave me a chance to forget about myself. And although people might say, you have to focus on you and focus on you. You know, for me, that didn't work. It, It helped for me to be able to think about other people. And I really believe that when you, when you lose your life, you find it or you just survive it. You survive, you endure, you endure. And that's what a lot of my journey has had to be. So, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the church. I'm so grateful for good friends who I was able to confide in and who helped me along the way. You know, we had, um, we had, <sighs> yeah, a big breath. <laughs> we had a guest on, um, Kellen, uh, Winslow a, just a little bit ago. And he, he works with, um, sex offenders, like the worst of the worst, like the ones who they went to jail and they've had multiple, um, abuses and things like that, that have happened. And he offered this perspective that was just like, it just sank into my heart and I couldn't help but kind of think about that with with your husband. And he said, you know, in a week, he might see one client, right, who this first client um, was massively abused when he was a kid and he was neglected and his parents did drugs. And, uh, you know, just I mean, like, like he would have broken bones and, you know, just the worst of the worst, like this poor little kid. And then, you know, later on, he might see another client and this other client did, you know, had to explain to him like all of the things in detail, like what he did because he had to take ownership. And so he talks about the most horrendous, you know, offenses against children and, and, and the thoughts that he had and the feelings that he had when he was, you know, performing those horrible acts. And then he sees another client and this other client, um, he said is, is someone who truly believes that he's possessed with demons because he's got, um, multiple personality disorder or, or bipolar or manic depressive or something, you know, he's, he has like schizophrenia, things, things that are like a very sincere, horrible, um, mental illness. And he said, you know, of, of those three, who do you have the most compassion for the kid that was abused, 
the horrible sex offender or the person who's struggling with this massive mental illness. And he said, you can't have compassion for one without having compassion for all three of them because they're all the same person. It's all the same person. And I thought, oh my gosh, we just don't know. We just don't know. Like it is so easy for us to look at one little part of a person and to say they're a good person or they're a bad person, you know, but in your story, and I know just through some of my own experiences with family members and stuff too, there's so many layers to us, good and bad. And so the worst person can also be one of the best people. And that person has people who love them. And when you put love into the mix, it is so hard, like you said, to just walk away because of the bad, because there's not just all bad. The bad is really bad, but there's not always just all bad. And I think that the fact that you are willing to continue to show up, to serve in your callings, I'm so grateful that for me personally, like that I've, I've had the opportunity to serve and I'm always... I'm always that person that's asking to do more. Like I, I, I'm like, let's, let me throw the Christmas party and, you know, like, let me do this. And it's right. Like, it's like when you, when you grow up in those environments or when you're in those kinds of marriages, you're seeking for good. And so someone on the outside might be like, oh, they've got too much on their plate. I don't want to give them more. But the way that I always looked at it was please give me more because I need more good. And I know that serving can give me more good. It can give me more opportunities to feel the spirit and to be around other people who are going through their own demons. And maybe theirs aren't as bad as mine, but they're, they might feel as bad as mine to that person. You know, maybe that's all that person can handle. And so if I can be there to show up and to help out and, and to give a talk or to, to do some ministering or to throw up Christmas party, like whatever it is. It, it helped me to get through my bad. And it sounds like in some way it helped you to get through yours. It gave you, it gave you that, that balance and that scale so that you could, you could see the good that Heavenly Father had for your life and for your children's lives and even for your husband too. And, you know, I think that's just, it, it takes a very eternal perspective to, to endure in suffering and to do it in a way where you can still see the light of Christ shine through you. And that's, for me, that's something I always saw in you. Every time I saw you, I just thought, Marlis glows. (laughs) She just glows. You have so much inner and outer beauty and, and your love of the gospel it was, it was never like, I never questioned it. Like, I just always knew you had such a strong testimony and knowing that there was so much more to your story than even I knew about, you know, I, I really am like so inspired by you. I just think that you are such an amazing person and I'm so proud of you for what you went through and what you gave your kids and for what you gave your husband. And I'm sure that you know, now that he's passed and he doesn't have that mental health that he has to struggle with. Um, I'm sure that I believe very strongly that one day he will be thanking you too. And he will 
He better thank me. He really, (laughs) (laughs) he will appreciate it in such a bigger scale. And and I think that you'll be able to, to have that, you know, that happiness and everything. And I, and I, and he, he would, he would tell me that, you know, in his own way, people will say, did he ever apologize to you? Like on his deathbed and, you know, um, he would tell me that, you know, if I hadn't stayed in his life, he would have passed. He would have died. You know, I had, yeah, I was a caregiver to a man who, to a man, I don't know, I'm just a man, but <laughs> I don't want it. They don't want to go to the hospital. They don't want to go to the doctors. And I had to yeah. force him oftentimes to, and I had to stay with him there because he wouldn't stay. Um, yeah. He thanked me for that. And, and there were times when he would call the kids together and say, you know what? I'm sorry for the way I spoke to your mom. I mean, you have mm-hmm. to remember he, uh, he, he was in constant pain. Mm-hmm. It was in constant pain. Yeah. And it's, and of course you, you have to take it out on somebody. Um, there's other things that he's going to have to say sorry about too, to me, mm-hmm. but you're right. I, when I spoke at his funeral, it was, it was difficult for me because there were people who only knew the side of him. Yeah. It wasn't a great side. I mean, I had family members who didn't come because they didn't want to honor him, you know, but mm. the family members that got to, that stayed with him and got to see kind of a transformation in him, you know, they got to enjoy the best side of him as, as I did. And so I had to kind of like bridge those. I didn't want it to be like some, this, you know, something that yeah. wasn't authentic. Um, right. And I just remember saying, you know, I would pray that Heavenly Father would help me to see him the way he, he saw him because I knew he had so much love for this, this man. I saw him as a little boy. I saw him as the things he had to go through. Um, it's not an excuse. It should never be an excuse for the way you treat right. people. When you know better, you do better. Um, and, and you should, and I, I don't want to make that excuse for anyone who's maybe going through this mar- a marriage like this. Like sometimes you just, you're just like, forget that. Like, I don't deserve this. I didn't deserve so much of it. And, and you should be with someone who gives you what you deserve. Is that always going to be the case? No. You know, for anyone who hasn't been married, it's not. Um, but it's, it's my story. And, and, um, and my, I, I remember my daughter, well, my daughter just asked me the other day, like, why did you stay with daddy? You know? And like there are a lot of reasons. Well, I didn't want you guys to have to take care of him. If I wasn't there, like someone had to be with him 24 seven at times. There was no one else. He didn't have fam- much family that was in his life. And, um, you know, at, or, you know, uh, I wanted things to be stable for you guys. But I remember thinking later, I didn't tell her. And I went back and told my daughter and I said, you know, I really loved your dad. And I know he loved me the best way he knew how. Yeah. I really believe that. And, and so no matter what we put each other through, we really did love each other. You know, we had a chemistry that, that, you know, is, and I'm not just saying like, you know, uh, a chemistry, like, you know, like when you're first married and stuff, but like, we had it. There's a reason why we, why we stayed together. And I'm, 
grateful that I could experience that even with all the pain and suffering that we went through. So, yeah. Well, Marlis, you are an amazing person Yeah, <laughs> to be able to go through all that and still be you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, I, am. I was going to ask you, uh, so for people that are in situations like this, like what advice would you give them? <laughs> people who are in situations like this, they, they want somebody to hold their hand and say, what do I do next? Because I don't know how to get out of this. That's what I needed. How do I get from here to here? And it seems like this huge gap. Uh, I mean, number one, I would say you have to make sure you have people you can confide in. Forget like, oh, this is my marriage and I have to be true to my spouse. Forget that. You have to have someone you can confide in. Um, and <sighs> I had a really big motto and it was do it afraid. You have to take steps even if you're super afraid. Like, okay, I'm going to get up. I can be in control of this. So I'm going to, I'm going to do this today. Um, I, I'm in control. I can call my friend and say, I need to come stay with you for a little bit. Or I can call my family and say, I need to come stay. I, I need, I need to step outside of this. Um, and uh, I mean, certainly if you're in a situation where things are not safe for you, you have to make a plan to get you and your kids to a safe place. Um, and, and, I, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that there's a lot of resources out there for, for people in this situation. And I, I don't know if the church, I'm not going to say start with the church. It doesn't, it, it, I don't know. I don't know what the resources are like in their area, but there are a lot of resources for, for, I say women, men too. There's a lot of resources out there. I would Google constantly like this and I never really found what I needed. Um, but I will say, you know, if you don't have anyone to talk to, you can reach out to me because <laughs> mm -hmm. I am a very good listener and, and I guess we could say I'm on the other side now, which is unreal to me mm -hmm. uh, that my life is, I mean, I can go home and I'm safe all the time. I can, yeah. I don't, mm -hmm. I can, nobody's calling me. Um, and I don't have that anxiety. Uh, it's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing. And if you have that in your life, be so grateful. If you're married to someone who they get on your nerves because they don't do this or they don't do that. Just be so grateful that you're married to someone who makes you feel safe. You don't, you don't even know the, what that kind of blessing is. Yeah. Do you feel like now that you're, you're here, do you feel like that deliverance has really occurred? You know, or I mean, can you still, it's hard because he, he, passed away less than a year ago, right? Or a little and, over a year ago, a little, or over. a little over a year ago. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I know for the grief process, that's not done, right? It's, it's yeah, something that you're always. still going to go through for a little while. And, and, but do you, do you feel like you have a little more of that, that deliverance from the bondage that you had talked about? You know, do you, 
Well, I'm not physically in any harm, but if you've ever been in, if you've ever been verbally or emotionally abused, you carry those words with you forever. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as I'm like navigating this new life, you know, I'm, uh, you have all those, you have all those things that they said to you in the back of your mind. I'm never going to be good enough. No one's ever going to want you. No one, you know, unfortunately you have them, even though, you know, they're not true. They're there. And, and, um, I encourage anyone to work with a mental health specialist for that. I, I'm trying to do that right now for myself because I know that I need that. I need, I need some, I need like a major therapy. Um, but you know, I am, I feel like, yeah, I feel, I feel free from that. Mm -hmm. And I had those feelings too, when I was married. Um, but it was always in the back of my mind. Is this, is he going to show up like this, you know, but now, and I feel so much more in control of my life. Like I can make any decision I want. I get to choose. I get to choose who's in my life and who's not in my life because I don't want to, I don't want these things in my life anymore. And I'm never going to allow them to be in my life. Yeah. And I'm navigating, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm navigating. It's this whole new thing. And, and I, I have some things I, I have to, I have to work through and work on. And, but like I said, in the beginning, it's not just a, I did this. So now my life is this, it's a right. constant there are constant walls being thrown up to us. But I will say, I saw a quote recently and it said, because of the storms I went through, the rain, like the raindrops feel like nothing. And that is true in my life. It's, it's, in fact, I have, it's, it's, I can say it better, but um, it had some weird anime person on it. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a very weird looking meme, but it showed, you know, this girl walking through that. And I mean, I can't, Oh, I survived too many storms to be bothered by raindrops. And I I feel like, you know what? The worst has already happened to me. I don't say that because there could be worse things coming up, but Mm -hmm. I got through it and I know I can get through anything. Mm -hmm. Because I have the Lord. And I will say that for myself. I know the Lord is on my side, no matter what, no matter if I'm making bad choices, no matter if, you know, this happens or what I'm dealing with, he's on my side. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for that knowledge. You know, there's, it's priceless to me. Yeah. And it's got to feel good knowing you have completely survived and come out on the other side, 100% of your worst days. You have an A plus. You're great. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you really, really have. So, wow. Oh, Marlis, I just, I love you so much. And I'm so grateful to you for coming on here and for being so vulnerable and, and opening up and sharing about everything that you've gone through your, your story. I know, and your perspective is definitely going to help a lot of people. Like, I just, I feel it in my bones. I just know that. Um, I hope so. I'm hoping to write a book. I I know a girl that helps people (laughs) write books. (laughs) I can help you out. Yeah. Um, I think that would be wonderful. I think that would be amazing. And and I'm really excited to see what this, you know, this next part of your life is going to look like for you and how it's going to 
just bring so much beauty. I, I have always believed that Heavenly Father has to balance the scales. He says, in all things, there must needs be opposition. And I think that's good and bad. So if you had a whole bunch of bad, there has to be opposition to that bad, which means there's a whole bunch of good that's coming. I mean, I a whole so, bunch of good. You know? I hope so, but I don't it live may- with that expectation. I, I Maybe it, not it, here, it but it will come. But I really hope so because we, yeah, yeah I hope so. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll live with that. I'll live with the expectation you, for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll do that. Oh, goodness. Wow. Well, are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners before we go? I hope someone listens to it for one. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm sure they listen to you guys. Uh, I know they do. Um, just thanks for having me on. Thanks for letting me share my story. And, you know, our stories matter. The world needs our stories, even if it's yeah. just people next to us in church, they need our stories. They need to know how we survived and how we got through things. So absolutely. Your stories, Alicia, you know, they helped me through a lot of things, actually. I think they would really have, and you don't know that, but, um, you know, they have. So thank you for sharing your stories. Well, I love it. That's I'm so glad I feel I was it was feeling really heavy there for a while. I just felt awful. And I feel so light right now, just at the end of this episode. And so I um, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Thank you guys. It's great to meet you, Scott. Yeah, you too. Well, and thank you, everyone for watching this. Um, Hopefully, you've got some really good information and insight. Um, And Please share Marlis's story. Uh, this is obviously something that a lot of people deal with in secret. So if we can get this out to more people, you know, hopefully we can do some good out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If it helps one person who's struggling, I'll be so happy. Yeah. And, and like Marlis had said, I just want to put this disclaimer and this reminder out to listeners she was just sharing her story. She she was not telling you to stay in an abusive marriage or to leave an abusive marriage. It is definitely something that that you need to make the decisions that are right for you and for your family at the time. So if you are going through that, um, I think all three of us agree, definitely reach out for help. Reach out for help. Don't suffer in silence. Make sure that you go talk to somebody, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, whether it's in your family or outside of your family, go talk to somebody you know, and, and lock arms together with someone else who can help walk you through whatever path you choose to walk through. You know, um, I, I do know that heavenly father can work everything to our good. I completely believe that with all of my heart. And I know that we can all help each other to see the good in every situation, but it doesn't mean we need to stay in a situation just to look for that. So use the spirit, use the resources of professionals and of other people's experiences and of those who love you and who want what's best for you. Um, And just know that if you are in a situation where you are feeling unsafe or you're feeling unloved or you feel like it's too big, nothing is too big for your heavenly father. He can truly work it out for you and he can do it in the most unique ways, ways that we can't even create ourselves. Um, and just know that he is there for you and we're here for you. And you have a whole 
support system that maybe you don't even realize that would be there for you too. So be sure to open up and to, to share what it is that you're going through with somebody else so that, that you can have more of those resources to, to find that joy and to find that safety and that peace in your life. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and if you guys have a story to share, um, please reach out to us. We would, we would love to hear it. We would love to, you know, gain more insight and perspective. And I think that in sharing our story, it gives us more strength and it gives us a, a more eternal perspective. So don't be shy. Um, reach out to us. You can email us at latterdaylights at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, latterdaylights.com. And there is a form at the bottom of the page that you can fill out. Um, and please leave a comment from our list. I'm sure that it would mean the world to her to hear, <laughs> to hear that she didn't just babble for no, <laughs> for nobody yeah. listening. That you know she really, really did make a difference, and she's continuing to make a difference. So, hit that share button, leave a comment. We would love to hear from you guys. And until next week, we hope that everyone has a beautiful, beautiful week, and that you guys are full of strength and perseverance and endurance and love and light and all of the good things. Um, Amen. Anything else? (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you again, Marlis. And we will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Okay. Bye guys.